I'm reading some uh, selected verses of Scripture from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and from Romans chapter 12. And uh, if you want to just mark uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 11 through 13, and then Romans 12, 11. seemed kind of solemn in here when I came out this morning and then I remembered it's Memorial Day and everybody's um, being very solemn and, uh, and sad on, on that I assume. Is that right? 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 beginning at verse 11. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. And verse 13 is really the text. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. And then the 12th chapter of Romans, verse 11. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. There are other translations of these verses of Scripture that are like this. Don't lose heart in doing the fine thing. Never flag in the Spirit. Be on fire with the Spirit. And be aglow in the Spirit. I want to preach to myself this morning, but in so doing, I, I think that I'm probably going to preach to some of you, many of you perhaps. For my greatest problem, my biggest temptation, is it yours, is to lose my spiritual glow, is to lose heart, is to get discouraged. This is the outstanding thing about the Apostle Paul. He never lost his spiritual glow. They could put him in prison and he would sing. They could beat his back until it bled, but he never lost it. And from his death house, he could write to the church at Philippi, Rejoice, and again I say rejoice. And to the church at Thessalonica, he could say, Don't lose heart in doing the fine things. But alas, many of us are not as strong as the apostle. I know some churches that have lost their spiritual glow. They're no longer warm and happy. They're spiritually cold, ice-boxed institutions where 
dissension and lack of spirit thrive and they are spiritually dead because they've lost their spiritual glow. Alexander Wyeth, a preacher of another generation and land, was asked one time if he'd ever preached in a certain church and he kind of rubbed his arms and said, I and I haven't gotten the chill out of my bones yet. I know some churches like that, spiritually dead, for it is possible to lose your spiritual glow as a church. I know some preachers who have lost their spiritual glow. It's easy to do because we come on with such great dreams and such enthusiasm, and sometimes those dreams, great dreams though they are, are shattered by the indifference and the apathy and the lack of response on the part of the people. Or some disappointment comes crowding into the life in the form of some church member or a group of church members or in the church in general. Or some annoying problem just keeps presenting itself day after day after day until we begin to lose our zeal and we get tired of what we're doing what we're doing and we wonder if the work is really worth the effort and we get soured and disgruntled and unhappy and we live the opposite of what we preach it's possible for preachers to lose their spiritual glow i know some i know some deacons who have lost their spiritual glow now, up till now, everything's been fine, but I know some deacons who have lost their spiritual glow, and they carry their responsibility of the temporal care of the church on their shoulders like the weight of the whole world was placed on them, and they get sidetracked from the important things to the lesser things, and sometimes they get shotguns and go off hunting field mice, and they get down on everything and everybody and they grow soured on the church and they lose the joy of their Christianity, their religion and their work becomes a burden, a task, a responsibility. They lose the excitement of their service. They lose their spiritual glow. And it's tragic because you see, there is nothing any more vital to Christianity than the glow of our faith. For Christianity is a joyous religion. And I'm convinced that you and I are never really going to be totally happy as long as our Christianity is a burden to bear, as long as it is a duty and a task to perform. And the church is really not going to have any power in the community until there is the glow of our faith present when we meet together. As long as Christians go around, you know, with a long face as though this were the, you know, the worst thing anybody could ever have to do, you know, a face long enough to need an apple through a picket fence, we're not going to have much influence on the community. Somebody said that, he was listening to the radio one Sunday, listening to a preacher, and this preacher said, all right, all you folks out there who are having fun, you need to be in church. <laughs> you know, that's kind of the idea that we have presented of Christianity. 
You know, everybody that's having fun ought not to have it. You come to church where the fun stops. I don't think we'll ever have an impact on the world until there is the glow of our faith. You may get tired in your Christianity, but there's something wrong with you if you've gotten tired of your Christianity. In contrast to the to the apostle who never seemed to lose his spiritual glow. Most of us are like Elijah, the great prophet of God, who lost his spiritual glow, who lost heart. And the account of that tragic time in Elijah's life is found in 1 Kings chapter 19. I want you to read it sometime. It was after Mount Carmel's great experience when the fire of God fell and the movement of the Spirit of God was present, that Elijah heard that Jezebel was going to destroy him, and in fear he ran from her, and he went down to Beersheba, and down into the desert he went, and he left his servant and took a day's journey, and he went out under this juniper bush in the middle of the desert and sat down under it and asked God to kill him. And the amazing thing about that is that this is not the way Elijah usually was. Usually he was a courageous man. Like John the Baptist, he had the courage to rebuke the sin of a king. Like a general who burned bridges behind him and faced either death or victory, Elijah taunted the prophets of Baal and cast his whole destiny upon the answered prayers of Jehovah. It wasn't usually like him. He was usually courageous. But here this brave man in, the first, in 1 Kings chapter 19 has lost his spiritual glow. The fire has gone out and the enthusiasm and the excitement is gone. Does that sound like anybody you know? What happens to us that causes us to lose our spiritual glow? What causes, what happens to us to cause us to lose heart? I want us to find the answer to that this morning. And in finding the answer, I think we're going to find a clue to many things that are wrong in us. What happens to a person to cause him to lose his zeal for God? Well, in Elijah's case, in the first place, it was a physical thing. He had been involved in a spiritual encounter on, on uh, Mount Carmel, spiritual warfare. He had agonized in prayer there, and there's nothing any more exhausting than that. And then he ran ahead of the chariots of Ahab down the mountain toward Beersheba, a distance of over 20 miles, the first record of the cross-country race in history, ahead of the chariots of Ahab. And he came out onto this juniper bush in the middle of the desert, and he was faint and hungry and travel-worn. He was worn out, and when he sat down there, he just let go. He was physically exhausted. Now each of us knows that there is a dynamic relationship between the spirit and between the body and the mind and the spirit. We all know that the body is controlled by the mind. Some of us can attest 
that some of the physical illnesses of our friends, even sometimes with us, is psychosomatic, it's imagined. The body is controlled by the mind, but equally true is the mind controlled by the body. And sometimes the most religious thing a person can do is just rest. I mean go to sleep. Now I'm not talking about right now. You know, uh, some, some of you have tried that. I was preaching uh, out there in, in Fred's church in Lubbock and I was talking about the dynamic relationship between physical problems and depression. And this guy came up to Fred after the morning, it was a noon service, he came up to Fred and said, I've rededicated my life today. And Fred thought he was really serious, you know, big guy. He said, the preacher really was speaking to me. I've rededicated my life. I'm going to take a nap tonight during church. Now, I'm not talking about this morning, but like the space bar of the typewriter keeps the words from running together, so does sleep keep our days from running together. And sometimes the pressure and the burden of a crowded schedule and a busy life just exhaust us and when we get exhausted, we lose our spiritual glow. Some of you have lost your enthusiasm for God because you're physically exhausted. And sometimes we lose our spiritual glow because we have a feeling that we're in this thing alone. That was true in the case of Elijah. He sat out under that juniper tree and said, I, only I, am left. And if you'll look sometime in the, sec in the first and second book of Thessalonians, you're going to find it over and over and over again, if not in the print between the lines. The people in Thessalonica felt that they were in this struggle all by themselves. And so the Apostle Paul had to keep reminding them, you're not in this alone. You're not walking by yourself. We're there to hold your hand. We are available if you have need. Sometimes we feel all alone. And the weight of our heavy unshared burden lies like an icicle upon our hearts. Do you sometimes feel that nobody cares and nobody understands and there's nobody to talk to? Sometime I come home, you know, and I've just been, you know, I've had, I, maybe I've had some kind of a dream or plan for the church, and I've tried it out on some people with, you know, just blase, just a blah response. I mean bland. They just didn't get excited about it at all. And I've gone home, you know, and kind of down in the mouth and disappointed and feeling sorry for myself, feeling like nobody cares but me. Does that sound like anybody you know? A fellow was walking down the halls of a nursing home. He said he heard an old man saying his goodnight prayers. And the old man said, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, nobody would give a hang. I saw my friend, my pastor friend, I hadn't seen him for, for months. But when I saw him, I knew immediately there was something wrong. He was so down. He, he, he looked like he'd been through the ringer. He was, 
I mean, it was in his countenance. He had been such a zealous, fervent, on-fire servant of God, and he, looked, he had that sad look in his eye. And I said, how's it going? What's happening? He said, you know, he said, I've quit the ministry. I said, you've quit the ministry? He said, yeah, Joe, let me tell you what happened to me. He said, I went to a new pastorate and everybody liked me. He said, man, I was the fair-haired young man of the community and they were really with me. My folks, my church was just claim, proclaiming me as the greatest thing that ever happened. And he said, I was with, we were just going great guns. And he said, an issue came up that I felt was, had to be one way. I had to take a stand one way. He said, it wasn't a popular issue at all. He said, in fact, it was very unpopular. And he said, one day I woke up to realize that I was no longer the fair-haired boy of the community. My church members didn't even stand with me on the issue. He said, Gerald, all of a sudden I realized I was standing all alone. And I lost everything that I'd ever had. And sometimes we lose our spiritual glow because of others. Sometimes it's the disappointment of others. And so I listened to the man sitting across from the table at the coffee shop tell me why he'd lost his spiritual glow in the First Baptist Church of Durant. Why he had just quit. He said, let me tell you what has happened, what happened to me. He said, I stake my confidence, I believed in what God was doing in the life of a friend down there in the church. And I looked to him for influence and for direction and for security and for strength. And then one day I realized he had feet of clay. And I saw him fall and when he fell, I fell. And sometimes it's the scoffing and the opposition and the resentment and rejection of others. So young people are all excited. Some youth evangelist comes to town or some special emphasis takes place in the church and they're just on fire for God. And then they get among their peers and they feel that opposition and that rejection and that fire begins to wane. The 43rd Psalm is the description of a man who lost his spiritual glow. And he was crying out to God saying, I want you like a heart panting after the water brook. And what caused this spiritual dryness, this loss of spiritual glow in his life? Well, the answer is part in the fact that he said, My friends taunted me and said, Now where is your God? And so the rejection and the opposition and the disbelief of others begins to crowd in. We don't find that affirmation and the support that we ought to have. And we lose our spiritual glow. Vance Havner said one of the greatest needs for the ministry today and for the Christian life in general is to have the mind of a scholar, the heart of a child, and the hide of a rhinoceros. <laughs> Good advice for preachers. And Vance Havner said, the only problem is how do you keep your heart soft 
How do you hard? How do you harden your skin without hardening your heart? And sometimes I think we lose our spiritual glow because we feel that there's really not anything that we can do. And so some people just endure life because they feel useless and unimportant. Widows and divorcees and the elderly. And so I started out of the door of the nursing home in Tuya, Texas, and I saw a little lady sitting there, and I said, How are you doing? And she said, I'm waiting to die. And I suppose there are hundreds of reasons why we lose our spiritual glow. Perhaps it's because of sin in our life that just kind of drains off our, our fire, our enthusiasm, our, our godliness. Maybe, maybe it's because we have so many things that distract. I may be wrong, but it seems to me that, that when I was the closest to the Lord, I had the least financially and materially. And it seems to me that somehow there's a subtle danger in adding things to our life, lest these things take the place of our love for God. In fact, God said, because the, of the world, the love of many has waxed cold. But the big question is this morning, the question you and I want to find is not how we lose our spiritual glow, because most of us are already there won't help us to know how we lost it. The question we need to find the answer to this morning is how you regain it. How do you find that fire, that heart, that enthusiasm if it's been lost? Let me suggest two or three things. First of all, by recognizing that there is a great work undone that needs to be done. Some of you this morning have lost your spiritual glow because you've quit serving God. And if you want to regain that, that glow, then go to work. It is generally true, I think, in most cases, that the people who are the most soured on life and upon ch on the church and on what the church is doing are the people who are doing the least. You want to lose your spiritual glow? Let me give you a formula. You withdraw from your involvement. You just quit being involved. You narrow down your desires. You hug the safe shores. You narrow down your interest. You shun responsibility. You withhold yourself so that you will never be hurt. And I promise you, you'll lose your spiritual glow. If you want to regain that enthusiasm, then throw yourself into a task that's really worthy of being done. Charles Stevens, who was for a long time the director of Radio and Television Commission, told about visiting in India, and he said... They went out into this market square in one of the villages in India, and he said, all of a sudden, we, I was just surrounded with little children, starving children, and they were all begging. And he said, there was a press of them, thousands of them, just surrounded me. And he said, 
I, I didn't know what to do, he said, but my guide, the driver of the automobile, began to shout at me, don't reach for your pocket. And he began to fight his way through the crowd. He said he got me by the arm just rudely and roughly shoving children away and shoving them aside and got me back in the car. He said he, he told me, he said, if you had to reach for your pocket as though you were going to give alms, those on the out edge of the crowd would have trampled you getting in there where, the, where the, those next to you were getting the alms. He said, just before we started to, to, to drive away, everybody was surrounding the car. He said, a man came up with a baby in his arms. He said, the baby was dead, been dead for days. He said, he'd starved to death. He could tell his stomach was bloated. His head was just a scab of sores. He said, that man thrust that baby into my lap in the back seat of that car. And he said the driver reached back there and got the baby and slung the baby out to the man. And the man screamed as we drove off, almost running over children. That's your baby! Charles Stevens said, I never was able to get away from that again. And every time I wanted to sit down, you know, and just take it easy and let somebody else take the responsibility and the work, there just came back again and again to my conscious mind that man standing there with that baby saying, that's your baby. It seems to me that if there ever was a time when the church ought to be on fire for God, it's this day. Our world is cracking at the seams. It's burning up in the inferno of man's riotous rebellion. It's time you and I did something about it. And I'm said in the introduction, I'm preaching to myself as much as anybody. S sitting in the prayer room last night, it just kind of came to my mind, Gerald, do you really care about this community, about this world? If you really do, why aren't you out there pressing Christ to men and women? There's a work to be done that's undone. There's a second way you can regain your spiritual glow, and that is by recognizing that life has its ups and downs, you see, you can't have Mount Carmel all the time. I know what we like to do. We like to come into this church and put chairs in the aisles like we've done. And we like to see everybody here and the crowds here and the aisles filled and the people responding and the money being given. But folks, the fire does not always fall. And Mount Carmel is not going to happen every day. God is not going to demonstrate Himself in mighty power every day. Every day for the Christian is not a mountaintop experience. The question is, do you have the kind of faith that will serve God in the wilderness? Because you're going to come to wildernesses in your life and I will mine. Can you say with, the author, with Habakkuk, though he be though he be removed from the land and though there be no fruit in the vine, no flocks in the fields, yet still will I rejoice in God. 
What Habakkuk was saying is this, I don't have to have miracles for me to believe in God and be on fire for Him. Number three, by remembering that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You can't read First and Second Thessalonians without seeing the reminder of the, of the fact that Jesus is coming back in the second coming. And when you lay that over aside with 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that marvelous resurrection passage, and, and Paul said, Jesus has been raised from the dead, therefore be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding, that is, always zealous on fire in the work of the Lord. Why? Seeing that your labor is not in vain. That's a good word. It means that any word that's spoken for the Lord, any task that's done earnestly, any sacrifice that's made willingly does not go unrewarded. And that's a good word for teachers who lie down at night sickened by the thankless task. Remember, there is the power of the quiet influence upon a life that's distilled in life rather than just comes in the flash of some spectacular moment. That's a good word for parents who, who wonder if they're getting anywhere with their children, that there is power in the quiet influence upon character and upon life. And Jesus said in Matthew 10, whoever receives a prophet in the prophet's name receives the reward of the prophet. And whoever receives, the unrighteous man, receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man receives the righteous man's reward. Then he said, nobody who gives a cup of cold water will ever go without reward. That's a good word today. It may seem like you're not making very much of an impression on anybody, but your labor's not in vain in the Lord. George Pullman began his climb to fortune in Chicago, the Pullman car on the, on the, on the, uh, uh, on, on the trains are, are his invention. He began his climb to wealth in Chicago by, by buying up the contracts to lift some of the buildings from their marshland foundations. His first responsibility was to lift an entire city block four feet off the ground. And so he got 6,000 corkscrew uh, jacks and he got an army of 600 men and at a signal they turned that corkscrew jack one half a turn and raised those buildings a fraction of an inch. A fraction of an inch at a time, not very successful. But that's what it means when a person lives and serves God. He may not make a very big splash on the surface, but there's the quiet influence of his life that is lifting others. His labor is not in vain. Don't lose heart. You may be doing more good than you thought. The teachers in my Sunday school class when I was a junior boy they decided they had not let me jump out the window anymore uh, at second store was church. They wanted to jump out the window, and that way, but you never know how, how much good you do, finally. There's a way to gain 
to regain your spiritual glow, and that is by practicing the presence of God. Do you know why you've lost your spiritual glow? Maybe it's because there have just been too many things come between you and God. And you've lost a sense of His presence. And so God came to Elijah, not in the hurricane, not in the whirlwind, not in the earthquake, not in the fire that ignited the hills and the valley, but in the still small voice. Sometimes God has to convulse us with earthquakes, earth-shaking trouble, and sometimes we have to go through the fiery furnace, and sometimes our whole life is just disrupted by the problems of the day in order for God to get our attention. And in the entrances to the caves of our own refuge and security and sanctuary, God speaks to us. How long has it been since you've heard the voice of God? I mean, really. How long has it been since God has really spoken to you. The black preacher can preach. And the black preacher and Christian can pray. I want you to listen to the prayer of this black preacher. And I want you to voice it in your own heart. O Lord God, give thy servant this morning the eyes of the eagle and the wisdom of a Solomon. Wash him inside and out with hyssop and hang him up to drain dry of sin. Put his eye to the telescope of eternity Nicked up his soul with a telephone of the central gospel sky. Luminate his brow with the sun of righteousness. Poison his mind with love for the people. Turpentine his imagination. Grease up his lips with possum oil. Loosen up his tongue with a sledgehammer of thy mighty power. Lectify his brain with the lightning of thy word. Put petual motion in his arms and legs. Fill him plumb full of the dynamite of thy power and glory. O oh Lord, just anoint him all over with the kerosene of thy salvation. And Lord, set him on fire. Set my soul afire, Lord. Set my soul afire. Make my life a witness of thy saving power. Millions grope in darkness, waiting for thy word. Set my soul 
of fire, Lord. Set my soul of fire. Because I've grown cold. Haven't you? Would you bow with me in prayer?